Hi, welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy you're joining us on our journey through the book of Matthew. Join us today as we talk through the way Jesus instructed us to live the good life. Online. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors at Branch Life. We're glad that you are worshiping with us today as we continue on with our Good Life series. We're talking more today about how to have the best life possible. This all comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. So whether you've been with us for the first time today or you're with us every time, welcome. If it is your first time, we have a gift for you. This Matthew journal we would like to get into your hands. So just let us know that you would like the journal on your connection card. We ask everyone to fill out the online card every time you worship with us. So let us know that you're worshiping with us today, whether it's live at our premiere or at some point in the future. We're super glad you're here. We'd love to get you this journal. Thank you to everyone who is making Branch Life Church uh, their home and who worship with is worshiping with us and giving to us time, energy, uh, effort, service, and uh, giving financially to the church. It's been amazing to see what God has done with you. We just celebrated our second birthday as a church, and you guys have made what we're doing here in our community and, and around our area possible through your gifts and your generosity. We hope today will be a challenge to you. It's a very, very interesting topic. So we're going to jump into that in just a moment. Thanks again for worshiping with us. Go ahead and take a minute to fill out that connection card and then join us for our worship time to follow. Hey, if you have your Bibles, jump to Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing on today. I'm not even going to do an introduction because... I think the title alone will give you the interest you need to stick with us. Today, we are talking about anger, lust, and lies. Now, don't you want to know what we're going to say? That's what this section of the Sermon on the Mount is all about, anger, lust, and lies. And we're going to dive into each of these topics. But before you think it's going to be all kinds of mad and angry and judgmental, uh, there's a real challenge here that I think Jesus is encouraging you and I with. And here's the thought. What kind of day, what kind of week, what kind of life would you rather have? Would you rather have a day that's full of anger, that's full of lust, that's full of lying? Or would you rather have a day that's full of peace, full of purity, and full of truth? That's the option that is on the table before us. Not just for our day, but for our lives. Jesus is presenting to us the way that we can have a good life. The way that we can get rid of these things that keep coming in and ruin our day and ruin our moments. Here's the ending or the moral of the story of this part of Jesus' teaching. It is that the good life is only possible through perfect love. That, that's kind of a mouthful of a thought and that's what's going to be unpacked this week and next week as we come together and worship and try to understand this teaching better. But if you're ready to be free from anger, free from lust, free from lies, if you're ready to be able to kind of live in a way that allows you to succeed in every day, that it sets you up not only in this life, but the life to come, Jesus is saying to you, it's possible, and it's possible through perfect love. Now, here's the challenge. 
And here's the balance that, that is all a part of this. Either you're going to try to do this on your own and in your own power, or you're going to try to do this in God's power. If you go at this alone, if you're like, you know what, I'm going to conquer my temper problem, I'm going to conquer my purity problem, I'm going to conquer my, my words and my mouth, man, you're going to fail desperately over and over again. And that's not a knock on you. That's a knock on all of us. Uh, we are constantly asking ourselves this question, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Like sometimes someone might ask you, hey, uh, how do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? And you say, well, I think I'm good enough. I, I haven't really done anything big. You know, we think about the Ten Commandments. We talked about those last week. You might say, I'm not a murderer. I've never really killed anyone. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not guilty of perjury. I have not sat on a stand and lied to a judge. And I'm no thief. I've never broken into anyone's house. You know what? I think I am good enough. And we start measuring ourselves against the, the backdrop of religion. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying that he's anti-religion. He doesn't like religion and he doesn't like religious people. Because religion is all about a set of do's and don'ts. When you're involved in, in religion, it's, it's a judgment zone. It's a heaviness that is brought to you. People are looking down on each other, trying to make sure that they strictly follow all the rules. And they start following a system. Jesus doesn't want us following a system. Jesus wants us following him. We are supposed to have a relationship with Jesus. And so he's anti-religion. And this group of people that were sitting on the mountain hearing Jesus, the Messiah, talk, were, hearing, were coming from a religious system. Remember, their heroes of heroes were their religious leaders. And their religious leaders looked great on the outside. They didn't murder. They didn't steal. They didn't uh, lie to the judge. They had their act together. They were pretty pious. But Jesus said that they missed the boat completely. You see, we are asking the question, are we good enough? If you're asking that question, you're asking a religious question. And that's not the question. That's the most important question. The most important question is what Jesus is going to talk about in this sermon. He's going to ask, are you even good? Are you even good? You see, we might not be murderers. We might not be thieves. We might not be perjurers. But he's saying it's so much more than that. And it's so much worse than that. You say, I, I, I may not be a murderer, but I am angry and I do lose my temper. And maybe you're there and you're like, all right, yeah, I, I blow up from time to time. I've got a temper issue. Pastor Josh, you're talking to me. I'm ready to lean in. But maybe you're there going, anger is not my thing. Oh, don't worry. Jesus has got something for you. Maybe he says, do you ever think impure thoughts? Do you ever look at something that maybe you shouldn't be looking at and thinking the wrong way about that? That's, that's no bueno. That's no good. And if you've, if you've done it, you've missed it. You're not good. Maybe that's not your issue. But then he said, do you keep your word? Do you, do you control your tongue? Are you someone that tells lies? And, and whatever the issue is, Jesus is going to say there's something about all of us that answers this question that, no, we are not good. We are not good. We're not, it's not that we're not good enough. We're not even good. You see, Jesus is saying to religious people, it's not about the religion. You could never be religious enough. You can never be good enough to have the good life to have eternal life, 
but he wants you to have both of those things. And so he's going to address these issues that all of us struggle with. He's going to give us some help. He's going to give us some advice. But ultimately, he's going to give us the answer to how we have those things. And remember, the answer is our time. The answer is perfect love. So how do we get there? How do we get to perfect love? That's what he's going to teach us today. So Jesus is going to start right off the bat. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We'll start reading in verse 21 with anger. And here's the thing that he's going to say about anger. Anger can be murder. All right. You can murder someone without actually taking their life. If you're angry with them, it's the same thing. Let's read this together. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. So if you are offering your gifts at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're with them at court, lest your accuser hand you to the judge and the judge to the guard and the guard put you in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Jesus is going right at anger. He's going right at the really worst sin. He's talking about murder right off the bat. He's attacking religion. He's attacking religiosity. And he's saying, you might not think you're a murderer, the worst of all things, but hold it. You are a murderer. If you are angry with someone, you're a murderer. If you're angry with your brother, you're liable to judgment. If you, if you are someone who is mad or hates someone, then, then you have killed that person in your heart. Here's the difference between religion and true righteousness that comes from following Jesus. Religion is all about the outside activity where following Jesus is all about your heart. What happens on the inside? You might look good on the outside, but not have it together on the inside. You might not have killed that person with a gun, but in your heart, if you killed them, you are equally guilty. Man, that is some powerfully hard news. To be able to say and think, all right, how does this actually work? Now, let's look at this verse in a little bit of detail. Everyone who is angry with his brother. This is a specific kind of anger. And we're going to look at just a moment. There are two kinds of anger. The Bible even says that Jesus himself was angry. So there is an anger that is murder and there is an anger that is righteous. Both have to do with your heart. He's talking about the anger against a person. And here's the, here's the simplest way to tell the difference. When you're angry at a person, you're guilty of murder. When you're angry at a person's action, wrongdoing, sinful behavior, that's justified anger. It's different, it's nuanced, but the, per the anger pointed at a person is the anger that is wrong. That's the anger that causes you to say, I hate them, or I hate you, or it's the anger that causes them to say, you fool. Now, this isn't just calling someone foolish. If you take this, uh, this phrase, you fool, that's liable of hellfire, this is the equivalent in our day and age, in our language today, of telling someone to go to hell. Have you ever been so mad at someone that you told them to go to hell? That you just, you just damned them for all eternity in your mind or in your spirit? It can't get any more hateful than that. 
I mean, how much do you have to hate someone to tell them or to wish for them, even in a moment, that you'd like them to spend eternity in fire? I mean, that's, that's a level of hatred. And that's this level of hatred that Jesus is saying, hey, if you're angry, if you're angry at a person, if you are telling someone that you'd rather them go to hell, then you're guilty of that yourself. Because here's the thing, no follower of Jesus wants anyone to go to hell. No follower of Jesus will hold contempt for anyone, no matter what they do to them in, in, at this level. But Jesus is saying, hey, if, if this is where your heart is, you're a murderer and you're guilty of murder. So how do we defeat anger? How do we know the difference between good, good anger and anger that is the anger of murder? Well, we're given instructions all over the Bible for this. Jesus teaches on it later, so do some of his disciples. We heard about it from David. In Proverbs chapter 14, there's an incredible passage that deals with anger. It says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. So are you someone who's slow to anger? Or are you someone who gets angry immediately? I heard a story about a dad who was on his daddy date with his daughter. What a great moment, taking out your daughter, the thing that you love most in this world, having a, a, a lunch with them, having a great time together, and all of a sudden he remembered or most likely scrolled past something on his phone that triggered anger in his heart, and he instantly blew up and exploded. He was mad at his daughter, he was mad at the waiter, he was mad at his hamburger, he was mad at his phone, and he lost his entire afternoon with his daughter because his spirit immediately changed. That is not slow to anger. Maybe you're the mother who's driving in the car and the nine kids are in the background going, when are we there yet? He hit me. I'm hungry. And all of a sudden you just turn around and you roar at them. We'll get there when we get there. If you don't be quiet, you're going to get out and walk and you find yourself losing it at the end of your rope. That's not slow to anger. We often can be those people that just explode in the moment. Godly anger is slow. Murdering anger is quick. When we blow up, we're guilty of sinful anger. But when we slowly process what's going on and we see true injustice, we vet that, we check that, we understand that, and we may have an anger, an issue that needs to be dealt with, but we don't allow it to dominate us in the moment. It's not a heart-driven anger, it's a head-driven anger that I, I understand what's happening, I, it is wrong, and it needs to be dealt with, and I do not like this situation. So if you're slow to anger, you have great understanding. If you are hasty in temper, it exalts folly. All right, everyone who loses their temper said amen. If you've ever lost your temper, you know, you know that it leads to folly. My one and only fist fight uh, was a, a, a fight that I had with another camper at camp. We met in the middle of the field. Both of us had uh, insulted one another. And instead of me not losing my temper, I said something smart. And it resulted with me getting punched in the face. I, I could have in that moment kind of kept my cool and, and calmed things down. But I allowed myself to raise it to another level. And I got the bruise to prove it that it had led to folly. Maybe you've said something in the heat of the moment that hurt the feelings of one of your kids. Maybe you devastated your spouse in the middle of an argument with a statement that you knew wasn't true, but you threw it at them. Or you brought up something from the past that was not fair to bring up. Maybe you've allowed yourself in the, in the heat of the moment 
to make a decision that had lasting impact, you understand that this kind of anger leads to folly. And God's saying, we don't want to fill our days with this anger. Remember, wouldn't you rather have a day of peace instead of a day of anger? And how often does this hasty temper ruin our day, our week, and our good life? How many relationships have been broken because we've been quick to be angry? And Jesus says, hey, I can help you with this. I can help you get over this. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. You can have an incredible life if you can have tranquility in your heart, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of hurt, even in the midst of injustice. Do you want to go from being an angry person to a tranquil person? Lean in today to perfect love. Are you ready to get rid of anger out of your life? It's possible that anger can become something of the past that you get victory over. If you don't, envy, this, this stirring inside of your spirit makes the bones rot. You see, anger is a big deal. Anger contributes to every one of the vices that the Ten Commandments talks about. Anger shows up in the misuse of your words. Anger shows up when you steal from other people. Anger shows up in an unwillingness to forgive. Anger shows up in all of these different areas. And anger shows up physically in your body. Anger more than any other emotion leads to heart disease, leads to uh, uh, dying young, it leads to a corruption of your insides. You've got to be able to set aside anger so that you can live this tranquil life but also a healthy life. And God says, I, I can help you with this. I can help you with this. In James chapter 1.9, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Here's some practical advice about anger. Open your ears. Go for understanding. Don't lay quick judgment. Don't speak right away. Don't blow up right away. Just allow yourself to be slow to speak and to be slow to anger. And Jesus wants to help you with those things. You know, we all face anger and, and anger in many different ways in many different areas, but some people go through legitimate, horrible circumstances that we should be angry at. How do we separate our lives from the circumstance? How do we be slow to anger even when we are facing injustice? One of those people that were going through some of the worst of the worst said this, and let me read this quote for you in its entirety. It says, I've seen too much hate to hate. My, to, excuse me, I've seen too much hate to want to hate myself. And to every time I see it, I say to myself, hate is too great a burden to bear. Let me just stop right there. Are you in this position where you hate somebody? Where there's someone that you just dislike, that's hurt you, that's harmed you, that you seem is working against you? Hate is too great a burden to bear. Somehow, we must be able to stand up against our most bitter opponents and say, do to us what you will, and we will still love you. Throw us in jail, and we will still love you. Bomb our homes, threaten our children, and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities and at the midnight hour drag us out into the same wayside road and leave us half dead as you beat us and we will still love you. And one day we will win our freedom. We will not only win our freedom for ourselves, 
we will appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process. And in our victory, we will, be, we will have a double victory. Here's an example of someone going through great injustice who was mad at the injustice but didn't allow hate for another person to rule their lives. Instead of hate, they inserted love. Perfect love casts out hate. Perfect love gives us the ability to live the good life. And in the midst of all this heartache, pain, suffering, and injustice, love was able to prevail over anger at a person. This is a quote from Martin Luther King Jr., who led one of the most successful civil rights movements in our generation and in our lifetime. Correcting great wrongs, but leading in love. Can you lead in love instead of anger? You see, anger has an antidote. And the antidote to anger is restoration. As we go on in Matthew chapter 21, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5 and 21, 22, it says, So if you are offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, Jesus is saying, I, I have an antidote for anger and it's to consider the other person. It's reconciliation. This is the process of forgiving someone of a wrong and allowing there to be nothing between you and them. Reconciliation or restoration is a forgiveness journey. And you can, no matter what the wrong is, forgive someone, whether they're asking it or not, whether they repeat the offense or not, whether they're in the wrong or you're in the wrong, you can allow for forgiveness and restoration in your spirit. And what, what Jesus is saying in these moments is that you need to consider restoration before worship, and we worship often. In this context, they would travel to Jerusalem two times a year to offer special sacrifices to God for forgiveness of sins. They would travel the 80 miles several days on foot. They'd bring their sacrifice, something that they had been raising to, to offer to God. They would stand in line because everybody from that country would come on that special holiday to do the offerings. And if they remembered that there was need of restoration, that there was hate or enmity or hurt between them and another brother, they were supposed to stop, walk back the other 80 miles, go find their friend, and work towards forgiveness and restoration. We have to aggressively go towards restoration. It starts with forgiveness in your spirit and then restoration of that relationship as much as it depends on you. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. Restoration comes before worship. So many of you have been amazing in your offerings to God through Branch Life Church. We've had people over the course of this pandemic who have served their neighbors and offered God their time, talent, and energy. People who have helped us launch our brand new worship center, given generously of their, their skills, given generously of their finances, so that we could have a home base for ministry and worship here in the greater Pottstown area. Some, some have given generously of their tithes to God. They've committed 5, 10, 15% of their income to serve the Lord, and they give it through their local church. Those offerings are amazing. They're blessing us like crazy. We're able to do things that we never thought possible because of your incredible generosity. And if God is moving you to, to offer something to, to Branch Life Church, we are incredibly grateful for that but we don't want you to give an offering and have a problem with your brother. First, get restored with them. 
First, we would much rather you hold back on those finances on those times so that you can work towards restoration so that when you come and you give of your gifts and talents, time and energy, you're able to give it standing totally before the Lord saying, I am not holding hate in my heart towards anyone. Then God receives your offering. Worship is a powerful reminder to us that we constantly need to be examining our relationships so that they are hateless, not hate-filled. And when we come to worship every week, we worship God purely and holy. You are not capable. The same spring is not able to have good water and tainted water. How can we praise God with our mouth in one moment and curse men in the other? Jesus wants us to wholeheartedly run after restoration. And that needs to be a key part of healing anger. It's hard to be mad at somebody who you love. So let's let perfect love lead. Then, if anger is not your thing, Jesus goes right after another issue. He says, lust is adultery. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Every religious person went, check. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in their heart. Then he says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Maybe you're not an angry person, but do you look at someone with lust in your heart? Are you someone that struggles with impurity, with impure thoughts? Now, this is happening in the Bible times, right? Where people walk around in like tunics and robes. And, and even in those moments, they could look at each other and have lust in their hearts. I, I think that this issue of looking with lust has become an overwhelming pandemic in our day, age, and culture. And it's an overwhelming pandemic because through the miracle of the internet, through the television screens, through the entertainment industry, we are exposed to impurity on a regular basis. Younger and younger and younger, our children are having to deal with seeing things that they may not know or understand. There are young men and young women who are in the ties of, of unbreakable bonds of pornography, where we look at people as objects, where we look at them to get for our fulfillment. And this, this, this pool then tugs at the hearts of so many people. You would be an abnormal person if you have not been faced with the danger of pornography today in our culture, in our time, and in our age. It's an epidemic that we as a church must fight against. We might not be adulterers going out there sleeping around. We might not be cheating behind our wives and husbands' backs with other people. And if you are, that's something you've got to deal with right away. That's, that's blatantly against the Ten Commandments. But so many people are allowing lust into their hearts. Job said in, in his book that we have to guard our hearts. That we have to guard our hearts and guard our minds and to stand against us. So how do we... Fight. How do we combat lust? Well, Jesus gives us right here in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, hey, if your right eye caused you to sin, tear it out. Jesus is basically saying the antidote to lust is radical amputation. Radical amputation. And amputation is when you have to cut something off, when you have to get rid of a member. If someone got gangrene in the Civil War and it was starting to infect their leg, they cut off their entire leg. Now you've only got two legs. That's a radical solution radically amputating a major part of yourself so that the rest of you can live. If lust is your issue, Jesus is saying, hey, there's an antidote here. It's radical amputation. It's not a literal amputation of don't ever look again, so tear out your eyes. 
But the way that we apply this passage is we radically cut off the source of our lust. We radically cut off the, the gateway and we guard it, slam that gate shut so it can't enter in any longer. If for you, your smartphone or your smart device is an entryway for lust, then you've got to radically amputate that if you want any chance at success. What does that mean? Get rid of your phone. Whoa! Did he just say get rid of my phone? Yeah. Do you know what I do with my phone? I have to work on my phone. I answer calls. I do emails. I do, yeah. And for the last five or six years, that's how we've lived life. But there's life before phones. And if you want to get serious about winning this war, about not being an adulterer, you may have to be radical and get rid of your smartphone and go back to the flip phone. We've encouraged many, many teenagers that are dealing with this issue and many, many households to radically amputate the amount of time and, and avenues for teens to get into tech. Don't allow technology to be in your bedrooms after a certain hour. Have, have charging stations outside of your rooms. Only have a community uh, a family iPad or tablet that you have access to. And no matter what, you, what technology you have available in your home, I believe every family should have a screening app or a screening technology that they have access to. We use Covenant Eyes in our house. We encourage it for everyone. It's not a filter, it's just a reporting app, but anywhere you go on the internet, someone's gonna see that report. And it's, it's one way that we can radically amputate the inroads and the avenues of this stuff coming in to our lives and our minds. We don't wanna be adulterers, and Jesus says you're guilty of adultery if you have lust in your hearts. Then, then Jesus goes into one of, the, one of the greatest culture issues of their day and one of the greatest culture issues of our day, and he uses it as an example. He says to them, oh, by the way, divorce can be adultery. And he, he jumps right into this issue. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And, and here's what he's going at. In, in their day, adultery was as easy as just printing out a pamphlet. I know they didn't print things. Writing out a pamphlet, submitting it to the right person, sign it, and done. They could divorce their wives if they just got tired of them, if they just didn't like the meals that they were making. And they had made this big legal arrangement to be married, to be husband and wife, and all of a sudden they could erase it without cause, without question, in one stroke of the pen, and now that woman would be out on her own. And the man had this incredible power to say, I'm done with you. I'm moving on to someone else, to somewhere else, to another relationship, and they would, do, uh, they would be divorced. The culture shined on that. The culture of the day said, that's permissible, that's okay, go for it, you can get married as many times as you want. We live in a day and age where culture is common, about 50% of marriages end in divorce. It's a little bit of a better rate in the Christian community, but we don't do much better in the church either. We are constantly uh, allowing for divorce. I've fallen out of love. There's irreconcilable differences. I just, I don't think it can work out anymore. And Jesus is saying, hey, even that is, is leading to adultery. And, and we have to go against this. We have to go against the norm. We have to buck this trend because we are not just religious. We don't just go by the letter of the law. We want to be righteous and we want to follow Jesus. And Jesus hates divorce. Jesus, Jesus loves love. He has set the church up as his bride. He's asking us to forgive and to reconcile with one another as much as possible. So he offers an antidote to divorce. As he goes on to this conversation, instead of just quickly running to divorce, he says, keep your word. One of the reasons that, that divorce, I think theologically is difficult to allow 
in many situations is because a husband and a wife stood at an altar and before God and man made a, a vow and accepted one another as husband and his wife. And they said forever. They said the, the same things in the marriage ceremony, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, until death do us part. And then something changes and all of those vows get ignored. And that you, you come to this divorce situation, you say, I know I said I would, but now I don't. And it's not just an adultery issue. It now becomes a word issue. Your wedding vows are nowhere in the Bible. There's nowhere where it says, hey, say this to your wife when you're dead. This is something that we made up in our culture. And Jesus goes even farther and he says, listen, I don't want you to even have to make oaths to each other. I just want your yes to be yes and your no to be no. In Matthew chapter 5, he says in verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of immorality, uh, and marries a divorced person, commits adultery. Again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all either by heaven or by the throne of God or by earth, for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem or for the city of the great king. In other words, don't swear by your dead dog. Don't swear on, on your life. Don't swear on anything. He says, don't take an oath by your head that you cannot make your hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Do you just keep your word? Not just about your marriage, but about, I, I said I would do that project, and I said I would do it on a certain time. Did I do what I said I would do? Did you, did you tell your wife, and I, I, I constantly am guilty of this, honey, I'm going to be home by 6, but really I'm not home till 6.15, 6.30, 7, 7.30, the meeting ran late. I told my wife I'd be home at a certain time, but my time wasn't my time. And Jesus said, hey, we use our words constantly, and we make ourselves liars each and every day. And wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be a better life if we just simply said what we would, did what we said we would do? We let our yeses be yeses and our noes be noes. Now at this point you're probably exhausted and you probably say it's over and I have no hope and I'm a horrible person and I just can't believe how terrible I am and I'm never going to give the good life and you are right where Jesus wants you to be. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. And if you're here saying, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, you are ready for the solution. You're ready for an answer. You're ready for the help that Jesus, only Jesus can give. When you're poor in spirit, you admit that there's nothing you can do to resolve your own problems, and you realize that the good life is only possible with perfect love. I can never love perfectly. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How in the world is that possible? How can I get over my anger issues? How can I love unconditionally? How can I move forward in a marriage where we've lost our love? How can I move forward after my marriage has dissolved? How can I keep my word to my friends, my family, my boss, myself? How can I do this stuff? I can't be perfect. Jesus says this, and he teaches you this in Colossians 3.14. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. But whoever keeps his word in him truly 
Is the love of God perfected? By this we may know that we are in him. And in 1 John 4, he says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's abide is in us, and his love is perfected in us. Perfect love comes from John chapter 4, verse 13 and 20. I, I don't know why Jesus didn't go on in his Sermon on the Mount to say this. Maybe they weren't ready to hear it. But Jesus would eventually die for every single person on that hill. He would sacrifice himself for them, though probably some of them were standing and yelling in a crowd, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He decided to love them anyway. And in 1 John chapter 4, write this in your journal or go there in your book, it says this, By this we know we are able to abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. Only in the spirit of the Lord are we able to have perfect love. How do we get his spirit? And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. You and I need to be saved from our hateful, lying, lustful selves. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and God in us. So we have come to know and believe the love of God that he has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. See, we can have this perfect love when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When we become followers of Jesus, not followers of a religion. When we don't try to muscle through perfection on our own, but when we trust in Jesus to perfect us from the inside out. You have the antidote to all of these problems, and it's the love of Jesus. Pour yourself into Jesus. Accept him as your personal Savior. Follow him. Read his word. Worship him wholly and purely, and allow him to transfer, transform your heart. John 15 says, if we abide in him, he abides in us. And the deeper our connection to Christ, the farther our reach. It's our roots in Jesus that cause us to be able to have the actions and the fruit of peace, of truth, of love, and of purity. We go on in this passage in verse 17. By this, his love is perfected in us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he is also, because as he is so, also are we in this world. God's not going to judge us on our actions. We throw those on the cross and we live by the perfection that Jesus gives us. Are you fearful of God's punishment? Have you answered the question, why should God let you in? And it's not because you and I are good enough. It's not because you and I are good. It's because he is good. It's because he is good enough. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, does, he who does not love his brother, who he can see, cannot love God, who he cannot see. And in this commandment, we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's why anger, hate towards someone, is such a massive problem. But when we love God because he loved us, we're able to love everyone. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. In this moment, if you're here and you're saying, I am not good, I am an angry person, I have impure thoughts, I can't keep my word, I'm selfish with my time and money, what do I do? I'm, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, in these moments, I want to invite you into a personal relationship with Jesus 
The Bible says that if you confess with your heart, confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. That's your next step is accepting in Jesus, deciding to become a follower of Jesus today. No matter where you are, what you've done, what you've thought, where you've been in the past, whether you're an actual murderer or whether you're someone who loses their temper, you can be saved by the grace of Jesus in this moment. Simply bow your head during this next uh, communion time together and just talk to God. Say, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my anger. I, I believe Jesus came and died and rose again for me. And I want to accept the gift of salvation. I want to become a follower of Jesus. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus and you still struggle with these things, all of us do. There is no perfect Christian out there who perfectly loves. Jesus constantly invites us back to this place of perfection and he does it through worship. First be restored, then come to worship. And Jesus has instituted communion as a pattern in our lives that we need for continual self-examination. This beautiful sacrament, this incredible act of worship, the communion table, unifies us as brothers and sisters in Christ and allows us to examine our hearts and to be at good standing with God. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can be forgiven. Because he loved us enough to die for us, we can die to self and love others. Because he kept his word, our words can be truthful. We want to deepen our connection to Christ, and communion is one of the most powerful ways to do that. In just a few moments, we're going to invite you to have communion together. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do this. But don't take communion knowing that there's something wrong in your heart. Whether you need to pray for forgiveness for someone else, whether you need to confess a sin, whether you've you lost your temper and you need to ask God or you've lied or you've thought in pure thoughts, in all of these moments, name those sins, ask God to forgive you, and he does. And once you've done that, in remembrance of his death on the cross, the spilling of his blood, and the breaking of his body, we can take these elements together and remember Jesus' death and, be, and know that we're in right standing with him. So over this next moment, we'll play a short video. You can gather these communion elements uh, at your house and do them in your own time uh, and have a quiet time with God. Or at the end of this video, you can join me in participating in communion. If you have your bread and your drink, it really can be anything uh, from your house, something to eat and something to drink. We want to invite you in this communion time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we get our instructions for the Lord's table and in those destructions, he says that this isn't done in remembrance of me, Jesus' death on the cross. His body was broken and beaten for us. He was nailed to the cross and his blood was shed for our forgiveness of sins, for our anger, for our lust, and for our lies. We eat this bread and we drink this cup and then we proclaim the Lord's death. This is the way that we tell others we believe in him until he comes. And then he gives us this warning, whoever therefore eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and bread of Jesus. That's that idea of not offering or coming to worship, knowing that we have something broken in our lives. So he says, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For everyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body drinks judgment on himself. So they came to the Lord's table, and after a time of self-examination, I want to encourage you to do this as well. We want to participate in taking this, this communion together. For 
As he gathered around the table, he said to his disciples, For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, as we've looked at this passage today, we realize that we cannot have perfect love apart from you. So God, we pray that your perfect love would abide in all of us, Lord, and you would allow us to have the fruit of peace, that we would be able to have the fruit of, of purity and truth in our lives. Help us to love one another, love our neighbor, and to love you wholly because of your death, your broken body, and your spilt blood for us. Thank you, Jesus for coming, for teaching, for dying, for raising from the dead. And God, help us this week to walk in your love. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, we want to invite all of you to go ahead and fill out your connection card before you log off, before you move to something else. It is linked right there in your chat section. If you can't find it, just go to branchlife.church and you'll find the connection card right there on the front. If you have any questions about your own personal relationship with God, we also have the gospel card available to you right at the front page of our website. You can find more information there about how to know for sure that you are going to heaven someday and that you are a child of God. We want to invite you back next week as we jump into part two of Perfect Love. We're talking about revenge and radical generosity. If you come to our live service at the campus, it's Mother's Day. We're going to have a photo opportunity for every mom with their kids. You can walk away with a new photo uh, with you and the family. And what a better thing to celebrate on Mother's Day than radical generosity. Join us as we move forward in our study of the good life. And we hope that this will be an encouragement to you today and that you'll have a blessed rest of your week. We'll see you next time.